Your First Home Buyer Guide was created to help you learn the right steps to take in the right order. But there are some things you should unlearn so that you don't get taken off the path. Welcome to Your First Home Buyer Guide, the podcast for first home buyers who want to get it right. I'm Megan and that was Veronica. We're both buyers agents and probably old enough to be your mums. But that's a good thing because between us, we've got over 40 years experience and we are going to share with you bucket loads of stories about avoidable mistakes. Together, we're going to make sure that you get unbiased and real information that you can rely on so you can get where you want to be without missing a step. Now, we've got loads of great tips for you in this episode. And if you'd like more useful tools, head over to the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au. There you'll find free checklists that you can download, a free mini course on how to price a property and our where to buy a workshop for only $39. Priceless stuff, really. Bargain. But before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode, here's the boring bit, the disclaimer. You of course know that nothing in this podcast is to be taken as personal advice. We always recommend getting the advice of an expert in their field of expertise. Now we've done our very best to ensure that the content is correct at the time of recording, but things change. So check with the relevant government authority or your advisors to get the most up-to-date information. We are passionate about teaching you the right steps in the right order to get your first home purchase right. But what about all the information that's already in your head? Things that you've heard from family, friends, well-meaning colleagues, the Uber driver, for God's sake. <laughs> God forbid. Back in our day, we used to say the taxi driver. Taxi driver. <laughs> Today, we're going to help you clear the rubbish out so that you can have a nice, clear mind and see the road ahead without the input from your taxi driver. Right. Mm -hmm. Before we get into that, Megan has been sharing updates on her renovation. And in the video, it's a photo behind her now. It looks like a completely different house, I must Doesn't say. Doesn't it? Where are you up to? All right. So this is the back of the house. If you remember from some of those earlier episodes, if you like to watch and come along for the journey, uh, there was a 1990s extension that had quite a low skill, skill in your roof that got ripped off. So this is the new structure going up for the extension upstairs and also for the living area downstairs. So as of yesterday, they had done all the trenches for the underground plumbing. Um, plumbing inspection is this morning. So all of that should be backfilled and ready for concrete in the coming weeks. It's so exciting. Oh, <laughs> love seeing a house come together. It doesn't matter how many you do, it's still exciting and fun to watch the transformation. I know. It, we were meant to be recording last week, listeners, and Megan was stuck staring on at site. her house, <laughs> all the stuff <laughs> happening on site, and she stood me up, but that's all right. We're I did. Today. I had a design challenge that had to be overcome, and um, and thankfully we had a, a yeah, sometimes in a renovation you come across things and, you know, at some point um, you get the joy of having a renovation that goes really well um, when you do buy your first home. But sometimes you get uh, things that really throw you and you've got to really work around. There's no use throwing your hands up in the air and going, mm. well, it's just not fair. You've just got to work out workarounds. Yeah. We had a really fortunate um, um, unexpected find and that was um, a stormwater infrastructure that actually follows 
an existing sewer um, through the block, which I was very well aware of, and mm. the design has worked really well around this sewer. Um, but there's stormwater there that I wasn't expecting. So rather than having to pump the water out back out to the street, I actually can now tap into stormwater and it's going to save me in mozza. So a really unexpected oh. fall that has changed positively a lot of the design elements externally and, and how the water moves across the, the block, which of course, as you know, in Brisbane is pretty important because it's very hilly. <laughs> oh, yes. Lucky you. You know, when I was doing my renovation, there were two things in the subfloor that were unpleasant to discover, right? Mm. The first one I totally expected to, dis to discover because um, I had a building and pest inspection done, even though I was going to fully renovate it. Yeah. And I pretty much figured that the whole subfloor would be just sitting on the dirt, which is just a massive invitation for termites when mm. you've got bearers and joists timber sitting on the dirt right i suspected that would be the case and then when they started ripping up the shitty old floorboards that's exactly what they found mm, right so we yeah. we knew and anticipated that so you hope for the best but prepared for the worst yes totally i was be. like i even think i did a facebook live on it at the time going oh this is <laughs> i i'm a bit <laughs> disappointed even though this is exactly what i expected so we ended up doing um three quarters of that floor original flooring is um now a slab and then one room actually is bearers and joists because it was higher and it's got a subfloor fan there so that keeps keeps that nice and dry so that that was a solution right but it, there was more concrete that needed to be poured than i was hoping for even though i expected it but out the back of the house when they excavated um my last renovation before this one when they excavated there was so much rock it was ridiculous rock is expensive to get rid of mm -hmm. it really is um so, and in Sydney, there's a lot of sandstone around. I expected some rock at the back of my house, but when they dug and dug and dug, there's no bloody rock, which meant that I had to put in 22 concrete piers that I was not anticipating. <laughs> so, and you don't know this stuff until you start digging. Absolutely. And that's so, why you need that contingency, don't you? you yeah. know, that pot of money for the what ifs. Look, and, and, and certainly we both know, and, and, and you'll come to learn, sometimes you have to go backwards in order to go forwards and this is certainly the case when you renovate but let's get on to our topic today which is what you need to unlearn when you first start out on your home buying journey you don't know what you don't know and that is literally the basis of of your first home buyer guide and that and that's why we sort of came up with it you're probably talking to all sorts of people picking their brains you know filling your brain with new knowledge and quite exciting but the best time to start raising your own awareness about what is quality information and what is just well-meaning but unhelpful information based on someone else's very limited experience or biases is right now before you throw yourself headlong into it. You know, Veronica, we, we hear some funny things, questions from students, clients that we've come across, you know, they say to us, but what about, you know, should I, you should buy in Mossman. It's a blue chip suburb. Shouldn't I be buying blue chip? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh, classic is you got to buy the best house in the end. No, hang on. The worst house in the best street. <laughs> worst house in the best street. <laughs> you got to buy the worst house in the best street. And it's like, oh, good. Okay. So, A, how do you determine the best street? And B, how do you determine the worst house? And what if the worst house doesn't come on the market? And, and what, what if I mean? the worst house is in the worst position in the best street? Yeah. It, it's <laughs> the one in the ditch. You know, every, it, there's one ditch in the street and that house is that it's a reason it's the worst house, not because it can be fixed, but it's just a whole idea that, well, you could sit there for 10 years looking at the best street, waiting for the worst house to come on the market. What if it doesn't materialize? Like it's just <laughs> silly, 
and do you miss out on other other opportunities? You know, another one that people often say, well-meaning, don't buy an apartment. They don't go up in value. Yes. Never tell a real estate agent what your budget is. Oh, my God, yeah. (laughs) That, that is a classic. It's like, and the real estate agents would be like, oh, my God, I hate buyers. At this. Look, just tell me what you can go to. And, and, and not I, only that, but if you like something and you haven't told your told a real estate agent, not your real estate agent, they're not yours. Yours no. is the buyer's agent, not the real estate agent. That's exactly if right. If you haven't <laughs> told the real estate agent, you're going alone, you haven't told a real estate agent what you can go to, they may well sell something to somebody else without even talking to you because you've told them that your budget's $300,000 less than that property is, that's, that's a know. missed opportunity. And look, the reality is that, of course, agents are generally better negotiators than individual buyers because they do this day in, day out. It's also not their money. It's not their property. So they can be a lot clearer headed, let's say, or less emotional yeah. about it. Less emotional. And that is true. But just because you tell them you've got up to a budget up to $900,000 does not mean you're going to spend $900,000 mm. on every house. Yep. And so and we talk about different ways to say that in the course, don't mm. we? And I'll, I'll give you a really short, like, there's lots of different ways to put that, but you know, saying, look, we're shopping around or we're looking at properties that are in the budget of, you know. Yeah. Another one is don't buy at auction, you'll pay too much. Oh, yes, God. What a <laughs> There so, goes almost every property that you're going to have access to in Sydney or Melbourne. <laughs> or Melbourne. Yeah. And oh. some good ones in other locations as well. Exactly right. But also the thing is that sometimes at auction, you won't pay too much. So you got to understand, well, buy my book. God, <laughs> they'll explain that. Um, so remember, you know, we're, we're, we're sort of, we're, we're rehashing some of those things that you might have heard along the way so far from people who meant well. You know, they might say, don't pay lenders mortgage insurance, you know, mm. avoid that at all costs. You know, um, go directly to your bank or don't go to your bank, use a broker or take advantage of every grant and every concession you can. <laughs> buy new These are things that come brand in new. No consciousness <laughs> and subconsciousness buy new buy established you know i want you to really think about each of these pieces of advice and we're going to put those in inverted commas you know it's not advice yeah. above so everything we just talked about that's now that's not a checklist that we just ran not through. a checklist they're not rules this is this is this is you checking your subconscious and saying are these the sorts of things that i might have heard that i need to unlearn ask yourself is this about me? Is this piece of information this person's giving me? Is it about me? Is it about my situation? <laughs> is it actually about the other person? Now, <laughs> if they haven't taken the time to ask about you, your situation, your goals, your priorities, your compromises, there's the big C word. We actually we're having a chat with a um we're gonna have an awesome podcast coming up with a um uh, I guess a co-conspirator in the US who also has a passion for first-time buyers, and he talked about the big O. Mm. Remember what that one was? Yeah, options. But what it, you think? No, but I still don't understand the 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 negative connotation of a big O in America. You have to tune in for that episode to find that out. I'll, I'll be learning really? that too. Well, you, if we say the C word here, everyone thinks of not compromise. They think of something else, right? So what he's saying is the O word, as if O is a bad thing in America. I don't know what. It, anyway, we digress. Um, I'll, I'll talk to you about that off air, Veronica. Off air, yeah. <laughs> Tune in, keep tuned for in a few the weeks. Big, the big C, the big compromises. <laughs> then, if if that if that conversation around you has not taken place, and that advice that you're getting is coming purely from that person's point of view, then it's not advice. It should not be allowed to imprint in your subconsciousness. Well, I know. However, it happens all the time. And mm-hmm. and this is the thing too. There's lots of bias when it comes to property. It might be biased because of people that are in the property industry 
mm-hmm. and they've got their own bias and we're biased too. Let's face it, it's impossible to avoid, although we do check our biases constantly and we do seek evidence um, to back and we up can also our to claims. Bite, bite both sides of a, an argument sometimes. Yeah. I mean, you, you and I have often <laughs> actually had to pull ourselves up on a, on a podcast <laughs> recording going, oh, hang on a minute, I, just, I think I just debated both sides of that argument. Are we helping or hindering here? <laughs> But the thing is that, A, we're experts. This is what we do day in, day out. But we still would have our biases because Mm. that's human nature. But as I said, we check our biases. We also look to evidence to support the claims that we make. So we're not just plucking it out of the air. But I tell you what, with property, I'm sure that you'll relate to this. Everyone's got an opinion. Everyone (laughs) has an opinion on the property market, on what makes a good property, whether they bought well or otherwise. The reality is that most people, once they buy a property, they think they're slightly experts um, have mm. to having done it once, and they think that their way is the best way for everyone. And often they're not the best way, and I constantly have people telling me how clever they are, and I, it's like I could pick holes in it a mile off, right? One of your favourites is <laughs> I've done really well out of this property. Mm. Well, how do you know that? How have you measured that? How's it measured? Oh, have it's made money. It? Yes, but what could you have made against what benchmark? I mean, people don't do that. But there's also this huge thing called uh, uh, confirmation bias, right? And once you make a big decision and buying a property is a big decision, once you make that big decision, you then seek Mm -hmm. evidence to confirm that you made a good decision. And you don't actually want to entertain the idea that you didn't. Like that's not very comfortable. Mm. So there is this massive confirmation bias um, that that comes into play with a lot of people telling you to do what they did. So be careful. And 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 I think that feeling of accomplishment too that comes from I have done this and yes I want you to confirm that I did the right thing, (laughs) but I also want your accolades and your acknowledgement that what I did was something quite fantastic. And that that is human nature as well. And you know a lot of people have that that high need for recognition and that high need for achievement and the recognition that comes from that. So let's go into why we're talking about unlearning today because it's really, really important. And until your consciousness is raised to a point where you're aware of it, then you you actually might be filling yourself with all sorts of different biases and information that is going to hinder you and take you off the path. So as we mentioned, sometimes you've got to go backwards to go forwards when you renovate. Now, this also applies to learning new skills. So things like, you know, learning how to surf, flying a plane, or in this case, buying a home. Really briefly, I'm going to talk about a theory of a learning theory, which is the four stages of competence and consciousness. Competence and, and consciousness. consciousness. <laughs> Bear with me, because it's really cool. Once you actually, once you actually get this you start thinking differently about how you learn new things. Um, So very helpful to understand yourself and also where you are in terms of your skill development. So the first, talk about it briefly, and then we're going to go into how how it applies to you in your home buying journey. So firstly, what you often find and, and think about, you know, I used to use a golf analogy and then Veronica, I think in a very early Facebook episode, you slammed me because. <laughs> You're too young to play golf, Megan. <laughs> I don't want to be playing golf. <laughs> so let's fly a plane. Okay. So if you said, all right, I want to learn how to fly a plane, I've bought myself some lessons. The first thing you will not find out 
is that you are unconsciously incompetent. You actually don't know what it is you don't know and you don't know what the gaps are. You're unaware of the skill. You don't know what to do, but you'll start, you're going to start to move into through having lessons. You're going to start to move into an awareness mode. So you're sort of moving through unawareness. I don't know. Yeah, I believe anything you tell me into, oh, hang on, maybe that's not right and I need to fill myself with other sorts of information. So I guess what you're saying there is unconscious incompetence is where you know you know nothing, but you don't, you don't know actually know. what you don't know. <laughs> yes. You don't know what you don't know, but you know you know nothing. And then the next step into awareness is going, oh, I know that I don't know. I'm consciously incompetent. You're aware of a skill that you need to develop, but you're not proficient. You really don't know what it is yet. And and you're sort of moving into that training phase where you're saying, oh, okay, all right. I didn't know that you had to do all of this preparation before you fly a plane. I can't just get in and take control. I didn't know you have to do everything in the right order. Yes, absolutely. I thought I could could just go out, find the property, make an offer, and then do everything else. And it all happens after that. Yeah, No. (laughs) <laughs> you then move into a, a, a period of conscious competence. This is where you're able to use the skill that you've learned, but it takes effort. You've got to mm. think about it. You've got to think about every step. You're practicing. You're thinking through. I have to do go through a checklist before I get into the plane. I have to make sure it has fuel. I have to make sure that, you know, engineering-wise it's safe. It, you know, it's shouldn't be tethered to the ground, you know, probably not good flying. There's a checklist that you'll go through, but you now know what that checklist is and you're methodically thinking through the steps. So you're conscious and you're developing competence. So practice then leads you into what um, airline pilots generally don't do, but the rest of us in other skill areas do, and that's being unconsciously competent. That is being, it's like driving a car. So think about driving a car. When you get in the car, there are certain things that you do without thinking about them. You flick your eyes up, you look in the rear vision mirror, you look to the side mirrors just to make sure they're in the right spot. You unconsciously put on your seatbelt. Now, these are things that you have done with practice over time so that they have become, you're quite competent in the skills, but you're not actually thinking about it. Muscle memory is a great way of putting it. So it's an unconscious competence. Pilots are taught never to go into that space because they need to remain consciously competent. No, but did you know that there's an element of unconscious competence with pilots as well? I listened to a podcast with, um, is his name Roger de Crespigny? I think, uh, pardon my pronunciation. The guy that was flying the A380, the Qantas A380 from Singapore to, to, I think it was Sydney, that they had to turn around and go back. And there were things going off, going wrong in that plane. And they were losing all sorts of functionality they're losing information it was such an interesting episode because he was really talking about having to focus on what you have not what you don't have and yes. working with what you have right and but there was also five in the cockpit there was an engineer a co-pilot i think there was a trainer and then and whatever so between the five of them they all they all were experts in their field and they all pitched in together to solve the problem and land that plane safely with 500 people on board not one loss of life, no injury, right? In fact, a friend of mine I discovered was on that plane. But anyway, that's side oh. the point. Now, yeah. in this podcast, he was talking about that he they would practice their pedal moves with their feet so that they do that unconsciously. So there is an element of that, even with the pilots, mm. even though they obviously got it. You want you don't want your pilot to tune out. <laughs> but it was just amazing the muscle memory, even for pilots, with their pedal work on their feet. And he would he would wake up in the middle of the night have dreaming about it. He's, pe- he's <laughs> Peter doing the pedals. Yeah, amazing. Anyway, I digress. Awesome. 
So, so <laughs> I guess that's you know, looking at the basis. That's the basis of a learning model. And if you think back about if you've done a university degree or you've done a TAFE course or you've done a trade, if you really think about it, you have actually gone through those four steps. But you might not have actually known that's what you were doing. But in essence, that's how we all move on to unconsciously or automatically doing things um, that we do almost on a day-to-day basis. So let's look at that in action, Veronica, and why it's important to to first-time buyers in particular. So step one is when you're unconsciously incompetent. That's really where you're taking in everyone's ideas and input without any way of categorizing what is useful to you, what you should discard. Um, and if you think about learning to surf, this is the time that you grab a board, jump into the water, paddle furiously, and then get absolutely dumped. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wipe out! That's what happened on the way out, not on the way in? <laughs> yeah, very, very dangerous. Um, Incredibly dangerous time in, in in new skill development. Yeah, and look, obviously, you know, you got the risk of forming unhelpful principles and beliefs and biases yourself, but also, in a way, you got the risk of giving up. Yeah, if you get dumped, yep. that is. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And 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 this is where you start to go, oh, okay, I'm starting to be a little bit aware that I don't know what I need to know. And you start applying some filters and seeking out reliable, appropriate import in the form of, you know, in your case, this podcast, um, doing the mini courses, doing the yep. free course on how to price a property. This is where you're starting to say, all right, well, maybe just talking to people ad hoc or a real estate agent at every other open house or um, mum and dad or at the water cooler at work, maybe maybe I actually need to be a little bit more careful about what I take in and how I process it and what it means to me. So mm-hmm. as a learner surfer, let's use that analogy again, you're now becoming aware that you don't know how to paddle out through the waves. It's not just getting on the board and riding wave in. You actually got to get out there, learn how to read the surf, where the rips are, how rips can be helpful when you're a surfer as opposed to a swimmer and you want to avoid them. You're aware and the rules. Yeah. Like, don't drop it don't on someone in. else's wave. <laughs> <laughs> That's like how learning to do with agents. <laughs> yeah. I think you, you, where you're aware that it's really hard to get the timing right to get onto a wave and this, you know, learning how to, you're like a toddler again, trying to learn how to stand up on a board. It's not just as easy as putting one foot on, on and the other one, you know, normally you just go whoop off the side. <laughs> Thing is though, every now and then somebody lucks it. They go out yeah, there, they're a bit true. fit. They've got good balance that they ride skateboards or something and they they go, oh, yeah, I've got this. I'm, I'm all over this. And they ride it in and they go, I don't know what you guys are all winching about. Seriously. So I think if anyone accidental, is, yeah, if anyone's going to accidentally succeed in buying their first property, look, it, I'm not saying it can't happen. It can oh, happen. Sure. But it's mm. an accident and luck, you know, lucky them. And don't <laughs> try to sell a system. <laughs> don't become the coach just because you lucked out and accidentally got it yeah. right. <laughs> Absolutely. Because so almost you haven't, you haven't made the mistakes then to know what someone else might need in their journey. So oh just because yes. you think you got it right the first time isn't actually that you should be teaching somebody else how to do it accidentally as well. Unfortunately, in the property space, particularly property advice unregulated, I think, I don't know, should we discuss that on this podcast or not, but um a, license, a real estate agent has to have a license, right? But there's property advisors out there that don't. And mm, it's horrific. Mm. And a lot of them are on YouTube. A lot of them are creating all sorts of content. Mm. And, you know, I, I, look, I had one guy in his 
bragging about that he'd been doing this for seven years or something. And like, hey, there's not that many properties you can buy in seven years. So if you've been doing it for seven years, you haven't actually completed an entire cycle. The cycle, market cycle. So mm. like, it's like you're a newbie and you don't even know you're a newbie. Like he, this guy's only at number two on this whole four. <laughs> He's only at number he doesn't two know what himself. he doesn't know. <laughs> yes. Anyway. Seven years and probably, you know, probably a couple of dozen properties, I would imagine, well, in that period of time. And a lot of millennials, of course, you like to go to some, one of your peers because they talk yeah. your language. Like we don't, we're just not cool. Um, we don't know how We're the mum on your shoulder. We are the mum on your shoulder. We don't know how to talk the language. Um, and I get it, you know, like not that I go to a lot of Gen X people for advice, to be quite frank. But anyway, that's not the point. Um, I get that you sort of gravitate to people that you feel are at your level and, and you're on your wavelength, right? But it's a danger with property. Property is such a long game mm. that you need to have runs on the board. You need to understand how it plays out in good times and bad times in order to be able to properly guide people. So anyone that's sort of just starting on the journey, if they're offering to be someone's guide, it's, that's dangerous. It's, it's not only that, Veronica, it's, as you say, it's a long journey. You know, we talk about seven to 10 years being a reasonable period of time to hold a property. And, and in that time, you, you, you might buy, let's talk about a new advisor, you might buy several dozen properties, but how many have sold in that time for you to have learnt the lessons of what mm. was good and what wasn't good and where are the benchmarks and what would you do differently and was that the right actually the right um, strategy for that person at that point in their their lives. So you actually have to not only cycle through a number of up and down market cycles, you know, your peaking, your troughing markets, that being a market cycle, also through um, the ownership life mm, cycle, journey. which is the journey from the purchase, ownership and divestment and, and having a number of those cycles and learning um, along the way makes a good, robust advisor mm. if they are prepared to learn from what happened along the way. And, yep. and you and I have sat here today, earlier this morning, we like to chew the fat before we get on and record and how's things going in your market, what's your buyer's agency doing, what's mine doing, and and even us with our 20-plus years' experience each in our marketplaces are looking a little bit at our markets and going, oh, it's a bit hard to pick it at the moment. Mm. I'm, I'm cautious because I can't say that there is a regular pattern of what is selling well, what's not selling well, how are people are behaving at auctions, how people are behaving in private treaty. So if with that level of experience, if I can't hand on heart say this is what's happening, I don't know how someone who's maybe only bought 20 properties over five or six years could guide and advise. So I, I think learning, this is the, the possibility of learning the wrong foundations here and as you said earlier, it is. it becomes easy to say, well, maybe it's all too hard and I'll just give up. Mm. I'll stay busy. But this sort of goes into step two, though, here, is really where, where you're aware that you don't know what you need to know and you start applying some filters and seeking out reliable and appropriate input, you know, like you said in the form of this podcast. Mm. But the problem is then that some of these experts that are giving advice out there, they sort of know they don't know. They get just enough information to be dangerous. <laughs> That's the danger at number two. You don't want to stop at number two where you do mm. learn, you know, those long the wrong, wrong foundations, foundations. Um, because then it, the proof in the pudding, it takes years to tease out, as you just said. Yeah. So then you, you move in. Empty what? your head. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, i got to unlearn this stuff, guys. <laughs> so step three. 
In step three, you're developing and consciously applying new skills. So this is really where you've moved out of that conscious incompetence. You're starting to to do some training and apply that training and moving into consciously being competent. So practicing, developing, you still have to think about what to do. And from a property perspective, you and I still have checklists, processes, Mm. guidelines. We don't don't ever allow our teams or ourselves to wing it because you have to, you have to be so thorough. You have to follow every step in the right order, get any one of those out of order or in the wrong place or make a poor decision around them without being able to pull yourself up with a checklist. And you may progress into a purchase that is just the the wrong one. And and as as I said, selection is absolutely key to your future you've just got to get that so right so here um most of you will purchase your home whilst in this stage because you haven't got enough time over a long period we hope that you are not spending years purchasing your first home um (laughs) you you might not be learning if you'd (laughs) spending years (laughs) so most of you will actually purchase during this phase of skill development because you're conscious and you're developing competency, but you haven't got the a long period of time to practice for it to become unconscious competence. So well, it's it's you know this is really where you want to be maximizing your your skill development and opportunity, but be always thinking what do I have to do next? What what tools do I need? How how does this go back to if you're doing the course, go back to that module that you're up to in your journey, review it. You'll, there'll be things that you pick up and you go, oh, yeah, I'd forgotten about that. That's right. I need to do this now. I need to talk to that person now. I need to make sure that I've done that bit of due diligence. I need to know that I've asked these sorts of questions. So it's 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 being really, really conscious in this part so that when you are going through a purchase and evaluation and inspection, whatever part of the process in your negotiation, you're really thinking, what is the next thing I need to do? Well, that's where you know, your first home by God is so valuable because it does give you those steps and the order and checklists and all that sort of stuff. And they're all based on, on what we use in our businesses Yep, because it's so every day. You know, yeah. I mean, this is not something that um, you don't, once you get to level four where you're an expert, you still don't, you don't go, oh, I don't need checklists now. Oh, the no. pilot, back to the pilot example, they've got checklists, mm-hmm. you know, they don't mm-hmm. rely on memory. They don't rely on any of that stuff. They know good practice, safe practice, you know what I mean? Follow the process. Yeah. Um, what their but- memory does is alert them to, okay, I'm here in this step. I need to follow this process or this checklist. Well, it's also when something goes wrong, knowing where to go to get mm-hmm. the information to, to quickly um solve the problem and i think that's that's where mastery comes in and who was it that came up with that um thing that it takes ten thousand hours of practice to mastery which is level four here right step step stage four here of the learning process is mastery we mm. don't expect you like megan was just saying you're going to buy in in level three here you know yep. we don't expect you ever to get to level four unless you decide you want to become a buyer's agent or a real estate agent right um, in which case you still need quite a few years of experience to get your 10,000 hours up, something like five years or something of working. Um, so, but this so takes a lot of practice. It does. A lot so, of practice. And when you are crossed, it's yeah, sorry. 
Well, that, what's I'm saying? So when you're in level in level three, where you are developing and consciously applying those new skills yourself, if you are doing the course and you get the benefit of our experience and our checklist and all that sort of stuff and our our support too, if you're using the um the forum to post your questions and all the rest of it, you will make a hell of a lot better decision because you are learning and you'll be amazed at how much you learn. Even my clients in my buyer's agents business, I'm sure you're, you're the same, Megan, our clients, they're not even going through the course. They're sort of going through it effectively by paying us a lot more money to, to do the job for oh, them, but we're educating them. them along the way. And yeah. they all say, oh, my God, I can't believe, A, how much was involved and B, how much I learnt. And how good is that when they make much better decisions because they themselves have learned? There, there is a, an element to when somebody has been, let's call them an experienced buyer, maybe they've bought a number of properties in other states. Would they come to buy in a different state or a different location, we actually tip them upside down, shake them and get everything out of their brain because everything that they've learned about purchasing in an in another location cannot be applied to a different state. Legislation is different. Process is different. You know, who they're interacting with, how things happen, all of it is different. So mm. you can't even kind of take what you apply. Veronica and I are constantly interacting with each other. Well, what happens in Sydney or what happens in Brisbane? Well, what about in Victoria? We interact with some with um, our colleagues down in other states because we're not experts in those other areas, but we know that there's a difference. So we're consciously incompetent yes. when it comes to other states. And that's really, really important because when you know that you don't know something, you're in a position of power. You you can then go, all right, well, I need to go to the right people and find the right information so that I am making the right decisions and filling my brain with the right information because you don't want rubbish, rubbish in, rubbish out. You know, that's the, the classic old computer. When, when we were learning computers in the early 90s, um, rubbish in, rubbish out. If you put crap in, you're going to get crap out, crap decisions out. Uh, so it's really, you know, that um, making sure you become, we don't want you stuck in numbers, you know, the same property going over and over and over the same process, evaluating until you're a master, uh, negotiating until no. you're a master. Of course, <laughs> if you're not getting it across the line, there's something wrong with your process. Um, so, so you're probably not going to get to mastery. But, um, you know, it, there is a risk that you could accidentally think that you got here due to a lack of practice or missing steps. Oh, God. Not only that, but to to have educated yourself and been really clear on, you know, the order of the order of events, the order in which you need to do things, knowing what to do, when to do it, you put yourself in the box seat. And this is the thing too around market conditions. So a lot of people might have bought in a hot market. They think they're an expert. You always got to go in early with a really hard offer and or whatever, right? That's because that's their framework. That's their experience, right? Other people have bought in a soft market and they think, oh, you've always got a low ball. You've always got to make a really low yeah. offer, yeah. right? And I hear this stuff all the time. Oh, you're an idiot putting in an, uh, that, uh, an offer at that level. And I'm just like, you know, when you know what you know, and when you have done your research, when you know how good a property is compared to others, when you've priced it, when you've done all your due diligence, when you're ready to make that offer, and when you also understand the type of agent you're dealing with, all of those things that you learn along the way, when you know that, you don't have to follow silly rules like always make a low offer or always make a high offer, you know? So you, you get 
silly, silly rules that are, that are given to you by people. I've heard them. <laughs> That's why I know them. Yes. You, by somebody who's bought once something once in one set of market conditions and they're applying that logic to everything. And so, and that's one of the things that is really important because there's some principles at play that are really universal in, in choosing a property and the whole property buying process. And there's others that are very much market and timing dependent. Mm, so mm. you've got to learn what's going on at the time in which you're buying as well. And without doing that, you know, getting to that point of, of conscious incompetence and beyond, um, what, what's the, hang on, number three, what's the, the proper term? Consciously competent. That means you 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 need to check what you're doing, but you're uh, you're aware of what to do. Then that is so important that you are able to do that in the circumstances that's a suit you. You know, making sure that your requirements are front of mind, as Megan started this about, yeah. but also that you're responding to what's happening in the marketplace and the likelihood of competition. All those things that comes into that. Yep, and don't get put off track by somebody else. <laughs> and what their experience was, as Veronica said, you know, we always recommend using your checklist and following the steps in the right order so you don't drop back to stage one. Stage one mm. is the riskiest, most dangerous place you can be in. Yep. You don't know what you don't know. You are well down the track of learning what you don't know, well down the track, because your your awareness, your consciousness is starting to go, oh, hang on, I didn't know that. And the moment you say that and you're ready to take in information, reliable information, information that's about you and your circumstances or that you can adjust to you and your circumstances, that's when you get into a much better frame of reference to be able to be quite successful and, and go out there with confidence. Experienced buyers agents who have many, many, many years experience over many market cycles, master stage four, but they'll still follow checklists mm, and processes to ensure they never miss a step in the buying process. Um, there's intuition that might come into it, but it's usually based heavily on experience of a different um, set of circumstances. Oh, I remember yeah. when this happened, we did this. I wouldn't do that in this circumstance, but I think if we apply this, then we'll get a different outcome. The old art and science. Yeah. So congratulations on taking the first steps in the four stages of the learning process. Hopefully you can now see that there might be things you need to unlearn, get out of your brain before you can <laughs> move forward with conscious competence using the right steps in the right order. In this episode, we've covered a very small part of our 10-step online course for first-time buyers. If you would like to learn more about the process and how to buy without making a mistake, then head over to our website, www.homebuyeracademy.com.au. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. And if you like what you've heard today, please give us an iTunes review. Five stars would be wonderful. It will help others find us as well. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found this really useful. And if you have, please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat. We'll be back next week with some more priceless stuff.